Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Exit Your Business Your Way podcast with Ross Brannon, guiding business owners to the exit they deserve. Ross is a financial advisor who knows that business owners work too hard on growing and caring for their businesses not to leave it on their terms. Each week, he interviews a different experienced business owner, expert, and other professionals ready to teach you effective, satisfying business exit strategies that will let you exit your business your way. Don't wait until it's too late. Start thinking exit now. Here's your host, Ross Brannan. Hello, and welcome to the Exit Your Business Your Way podcast. I'm your host, Ross Brand. This week, our guest is Michael Butler, the Senior Director at Footprint Capital, an investment bank in Columbus, Ohio, that focuses on advising owners of middle market companies. Michael is in charge of sell side and buy side, and he's here to share his wisdom with us today. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, let's just kind of jump right in here. You know, we hear the word investment bank a lot. I read the Wall Street Journal every day. I'm in financial services, but people hear investment banks all hear about investment banking all the time. Can you kind of, for the business owner out there who might be listening, what is an investment bank and why might they want to talk to one? Yeah, yeah, good, great question to start with. Yeah, certainly those names like Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch and all those others that do, you know, take companies public are the big, uh, different kind of investment banks. We're we're more of a, the best way to, to understand us or to understand what we do is we're more M and A advisors, merger and acquisition advisors to companies. A great example might be we just would help a business owner monetize their company at the end of their career, sell it to a third party, is an example, and we we'll do that through a, a, a closed or private auction process. On the flip side, we also work with business owners that are looking to grow their companies by acquisition. So they may come to us and say, hey, Michael, I'm in the, let's say, digital marketing area. I want to acquire more digital marketing companies like mine and grow my uh, footprint, if you will. And so we would help them find those companies, make those marriages and complete those transactions. So it's either, you know, what we call a, that, that would be what we call a buy side transaction. And where we're helping a seller, those are called a sell side transaction. But that's really what uh, investment banking is all about, or at least, at least the, the portion of the market that we're participating in. Well, we like to, in the financial services realm, we like to talk in acronyms and make ourselves sound smarter than we actually are. So no one knows what the heck we're talking about. So (laughs) you guys focus on middle market companies. So let's define middle market for people out there. Yeah, very good. Yeah, it's we actually kind of say we're lower middle market. And we we kind of define that by companies that have earnings between two and $10 million as being sort of the, the sweet spot for us. Uh, we certainly have worked on companies with less than $2 million, but really the, the sweet spot of two to 10 million of annual earnings is is really the kind of the number. We, we typically use an acronym called EBITDA, and EBITDA is earnings before interest, 
taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And we actually, actually more technically, it's something called we call adjusted EBITDA. And that's where we add back expenses the owner might be taking out on a personal basis. So as an example, they may have their kids on the payroll who really aren't performing any kind of job, or they may be running their personal vehicles or vacations or any kind of personal expenses through the company. Those would all get added back to their earnings because really those things won't uh, occur in the future if they sell their company to a new buyer, if you will. That makes perfect sense. So let's talk about, you know, the type of uh, industries that you guys deal with typically. We always say we're industry agnostic, meaning that we just really have have worked in a number of different industries. Although we've got particular, you know, specialties and experience in what we've done in the past. So we've been involved in the healthcare industry, uh, specifically uh, some, you know, medical practices, uh, you know, ophthalmology, dermatology, things like that. In the medical space, we've also been involved in medical equipment, uh, what's called durable medical equipment. And we've worked in a number of different uh, spaces there. But logistics, you know, really trucking companies. We've sold a number of those. We've sold a number of light manufacturing companies, uh, business services companies, you know, B2B companies as, the, as they're called. We've also done quite a bit in the uh, consumer services arena. And by that, I mean uh, HVAC, plumbing, electrical, basement repair, things like that. Those are consumer services or consumer home services that really are a particularly um, uh, hot area these days. And that's one of our niches. But beyond that, uh, you know, we've had a smattering of a bunch of other assignments since our, uh, you know, 2014, um, you know, start and uh, been very successful at uh, getting quite a few of those to, uh, to a successful transaction. Well, you're talking about consumer services and like specifically HVACs. I live in Florida. I have a theory that if you want to be a, a virtual guaranteed millionaire, start an HVAC <laughs> company in the southeast part of the United States. Well, I'll tell you, man, it's you know you, you can't be without it, right? <laughs> no, you you can't. And so obviously you have to know how to run a business because there's plenty of people who are just an AC guy with a truck, and there's plenty of people who actually run businesses. When you sell a consumer services like a, a you know a contractor side business, whether it's plumbing, electrical, HVAC. You're based in Columbus, Ohio. I'm based in Tallahassee, Florida. If you're selling an HVAC company in Columbus, Ohio, is the buyer someone in the same state in the same region? Or are you dealing with HVAC companies that are a fair amount bigger and they're like regional? Yeah. Well, it could be a lot of things. We'll do in terms of reaching out to buyers is we'll reach out to a whole bunch of folks. So, you know, right now with HVAC as an example, we've actually sold a number of these recently. We've actually sold them to private equity and private equity are obviously professional investors and professional professionals that buy and sell companies, uh, you know, for uh, underlying uh, investors. And so we've sold a number of those to private equity uh, and they've done quite well. It seems to be a hot area. But what you mentioned, you know, selling to, let's say, a competitor uh, in another town, as an example, let's say, you know, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, like you mentioned, let's say, um, you know, right outside of town is Dayton, Ohio. So someone may say, hey, I've got a great HVAC practice here in Columbus. I like to expand my practice to Dayton. I want to go buy somebody over there. So we might help them locate somebody to, uh, to acquire and, and grow in that way. Talk about a professional investor buying a business. If I was a professional investor and I want to go buy, you know, Joe's HVAC company here in Tallahassee, Florida, mm-hmm. obviously that's a great cash flow investment. If I'm if I'm doing that, if I'm doing it the right way, mm-hmm. the challenge is from a management standpoint, the owner is going to want to typically leave 
or at least they're not going to want to be to have a boss. So they're, they're likely not going to be there. So talk a little about that environment when you have a professional investor buying an operating business who yeah. is not an actual operator. So a lot of times we'll see investors that uh, want to buy themselves really, I mean, they hate to say it this way, but the best way to describe it, buy themselves a job, if you will. So they may say, hey, I want to run a company and I've chosen HVAC as an example. Uh, let's, let me go find a successful company today uh, where the owner is looking to, to get out. And, you know, and typically what ends up happening when you sell a company, there's a transition period. And that transition period can be a year, could be two could be three, but typically that owner has to agree to stay on for a period of time to transition the, uh, you know, the employee relationships, the customer relationships, all those kinds of things. But uh, we'll talk to those folks, uh, you, those investors, and help them find a company uh, they're looking for. Uh, but uh, but the same token, really, most of the time we're representing the sellers. So what uh, what we're doing is for the sellers is we're trying to find you know viable buyers with the financial resources and the access to capital, either through their own uh, pocketbooks or ability to tap into uh, to debt, getting a bank loan to buy that company. You know, a lot of times that uh, that business transaction occurs through some cash at close and some earn out or some, uh, uh, some you know, what we call a seller note where the actual seller is actually loaning some of the money to that investor. So it could be any combination of things there. But, uh, but really, our goal is to find, you know, business and appropriate buyer uh, and bring the two together. And really, we're just, you know, in that regard, we're kind of uh, financial matchmakers. Yeah, for sure. And is that that professional investor, they're trying to actually get in the operating business or are they trying to put somebody in the operating business and still be off hands off? You know, it's, it's both. We do see both types. You know, it's very typical for folks. For instance, I've got I'm working with a guy right now who's trying to acquire a number of different unrelated businesses and kind of, you know, play sort of a high level board role in a lot of those businesses, but he's not going to you know, get his hands dirty for so to speak at running those businesses day to day. He's a professional investor with a with some some assets that he is looking to deploy into these things. So if, in his mind, this is a better way of investing his money than putting it into, let's say, the public equity markets, which uh, you know can be rocky at times. He likes to have a little bit more control over his future. And frankly, you know, this has got a lot more risk involved in you know in investing in individual businesses. But as a result, anything that's got more risk generally has more return. And so, uh, so he's looking for that re- additional return he can receive uh, after uh, you know, as owning those businesses. And we might help him find the businesses, but we also might help him sell the businesses when the you know when he he feels like they've peaked out. So if I'm a business owner and I, you know I met you at the bar and we were talking and I was <laughs> you know kind of getting up there in age and just kind of getting worn out or tired of the, the grind. What advice would you give me about selling my business? What kind of ducks do I have to have in a row? <laughs> Good question. You know, first of all, we always say the person that the, the people that plan the most for their exit event are going to do the best and they'll do the best. And, in the and let me interrupt you. Yeah. Most people don't plan at all. If they mm-hmm. do plan, they plan about 30 to 90 days and then they're ready to go. <laughs> you got it. That's usually when we get the call. Uh, they're ready to go. And if they can, you know, and if we can, if we can, you know, any bit of advice I can give to anybody out there listening as a business owner, you know, it's difficult to plan your exit because you're not thinking about the exit. You're thinking about running your business every day and what's going to happen tomorrow. But if you can sit back, 
think strategically about where you want to be in the future, uh, how many years you have left in the business, what you need to do to prepare that business for sale and your retirement. So what you want to do as an example, probably the biggest problem we see with a with an owner-operated business is the owner dominates everything that's going on in the business. They're involved with every big customer. They're running day-to-day the operations in the business, you know, and they can't even take a vacation in many cases. That's the that's a sort of a recipe for disaster in terms of selling a business, you know, because a, a buyer knows, like you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, that you're going to be leaving the business in a, in a year or two, uh, or maybe even sooner. And with that, you know, they want to find a business that will continue in the future without you as an owner. And so putting your, you know, giving responsibilities to your team, if you will, the team that's helping you run the business is vital and making sure duties are properly aligned are some of the, some of the, I guess, the very high level recommendations I would make. But we very often, you know, back to your example, though, you know, we will meet business owners that are just ready to go. And our job is to market the business as best we can to a large group of buyers in a private way. And that private way is a pretty important point there. We want to do it quite confidentially. We don't want to tell the world you're ready to sell until you're ready to tell the world yourself when the actual, and that's usually after the business is sold. And why is that? Because a lot of times when you tell the world ahead of time, the employees get nervous, your customers get nervous, uh, your competitors use it against you. All these sorts of you know bad things can happen if the, the, the word gets out too early, if you will. And so, so our job is to be kind of hired guns, if you will, to help, uh, you know, deploy an exit on the best possible terms in terms of price, terms, and chemistry for an owner. Well, as they say, and I quote some a fair amount, loose lips sink ships. <laughs> you got and, it, man. <laughs> uh, you don't want your business out there, your personal business out there, and you don't want it to, because if, if, it's, if it's common knowledge that your business is on the market, that's definitely going to have an effect yep. in that. So how often do you see these company owners, CEOs, presidents, whatever their title is, their company kind of be um, dominate the company and can actually change to sell their their business because they've been doing it that way for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Right. You don't unlearn that in a weekend. No. Part of it's personality, part of it's control freak. How hard is it for people to make that change? Yeah. Oh, it's very difficult. And it's something that, so that's why you got to sort of plant early and often, if you will. But a lot of times I'll give you an example of a company we just sold, uh, Ohio-based company that we sold. Uh, and the owner did dominate the day-to-day operations. He kind of managed every kind of nuance of it. But the the, the new company that acquired him knew that. And what they did is, you know, their their job day one after the transaction closed, after the purchase company was sold, was to start to find his replacement. Okay, so they uh, brought in replacements right away, uh, you know, pick somebody and are currently training that person to evolve, to eventually take over that person's job over the next year. So it's not uncommon that uh, the the buyer will do that. I will tell you this, though, um, a lot of times that kind of situation will will cost a seller, you know, the, the business seller, you know, some uh, some some dollars. Well, that, that was my next question. Yeah. How much? theoretically, in a scenario like you just described, will that reduce the sale price? Are we talking yeah. like a reduction of a multiple, reduction of a, you know, if, he, if the guy was selling for, say, 5X, you know, is he now, could he have gotten 6X had he had his um, his operation a little smoother, if you want? 
Yeah, no, I think you're, you're right on. I think a multiple is a very fair way to, to look at it. And basically, you kind of said that another way. Yeah, basically, it cost him you know, one times his earnings in, in purchase price for not having everything lined up where his uh, he could he or she could walk away from that business uh, rapidly. So doing that is really affects your pocketbook in a very positive way. You know, we can help to, you know, help people, you know, kind of think through those things. You know, the owner dominant situation is one of many things that a buyer will look at. And I guess you have to put it this way. If you think about a buyer, they really have two objectives in buying a business. They want to limit their risk and they want to increase their opportunity, right? And so by limiting their risk, what they what they risk is if you leave the company that you'll take, you know, the customers won't repeat. Uh, let's say the customers you have, uh, the employees won't be as loyal to a new manager, as an example, uh, and maybe won't stick around under a new new leadership. And so that's why you want to have these changes made as much in advance of the uh, the sale as possible. But that's not always the case. And quite often we get situations that, uh, you know, sometimes a business transaction or a sale occurs as a result of someone's uh, health issues, uh, divorce, a death, things like that. Uh, so we, we typically, you know, we deal with situations like that where it's not just necessarily burnout, but it's really, you know, kind of forced exit situations. You know, we say it this way, you know, every company will exit at some point in time. Every owner, I should say, will exit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, sort of like it or not, if you will. It's one way or another. You might you might die at your die in your office. I hate to say it, but uh, but by the same token, you know, hopefully the ones that uh, plan well will be able to enjoy you know a a fruitful, economically uh, you know positive situation of retirement and and hopefully enjoy life a bit after a long career. So as you're advising these people, you know, you're their investment banker, you're there helping them on the sell side of the buy side. How often do you become their unpaid shrink? <laughs> I'll tell you, that's uh, we sort of have this uh, this kind of list of duties, if you will. And the last one is emotional support. And I always say last but not least, and it certainly isn't least. This is a very emotional process. This is someone who has uh, grown a business many times from the start. And they're, you know, selling their their baby, if you will. And they're concerned about the legacy of what their company is going to be like in the future. What's going to happen with my employees? What's going to happen with my name on the door? If their name is on the door, uh, all those sorts of things. And it's very easy to get frustrated. And I'll give you an example. So we were trying to sell a, uh, a company, uh, an HVAC company as an example, in this case. And the owner was, the things were going really well in terms of just getting through the process. It's a lot of due diligence. It's a lot of looking under every rock and so on. And some issue came up and they had asked about it a couple of times before. And uh, he felt like he had adequately answered it, but it just got to the point where he'd have been asked, he'd been asked so many questions. He was just so frustrated. He kind of said, you know what? That's it. This is kind of the, the, as they say, the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. And he said, I just feel like calling off this whole transaction. I said, man, you know, so we kind of had to sit back and say, wait a minute, we are about a week away from closing this. This is a really very minor issue. Yeah, you they've asked you about it. They they it's not like they don't trust you, but they just need to, you know, trust but verify as the old phrase goes. And so we sort of got him over that issue. Uh but it's easy to get riled in the process. You have to be really committed to want to sell a business because it's, you know, there are going to be bumps on the road. I think there's a statistic I've read out there that there's going to be something like, you know, 
eight somewhat unexpected things that will come up uh, some you know on, on average in any kind of deal. And eight seems like it's uh, depends on how, how how major you want to count those eight, but there are, there are things that come up, uh, uh, challenges, disagreements on uh, you know every little nuance in the contract, things like that. So it's a it's a tough process, but emotional support is uh, is a big part of the job. And so do you find like your goal is to create like a private auction for the, for the people who are selling their companies. Do you find that the first offer is the best or, you know, if you don't have any other offers, you need to go out and shop it around and see what's available because someone might be willing to pay more. Yeah. Here's the way we typically will run these private auctions. And so maybe to answer your question, I need to maybe give you a, a little nuance. So let's say we take a company. And we're going to run what we call a full process, meaning that we're just going to take them through an extensive process. We might we might generate a hundred potential buyers for that company. It could even be more. It could be several hundred, if you will. We'll reach out to those several hundred in a systematic way, and we'll actually set a deadline by which they need to respond to us. And so, hopefully, what we get, Ross, is as many offers on that due date, if you will. And so, our goal as a company is always to have several great offers that differ by price and terms and that sort of thing uh, to present to an owner to choose from. But your example, here's a, here's a really uh, uh, another example that uh, kind of uh, comes up when I think about your question. We had somebody uh, as a buyer who jumped in and said, I really want this company, Michael, that you've sent over materials. I'm willing to give you an early offer and I want you to respond to it quickly. So he, this, this company came to us and said, we're excited about this company. We don't want anybody else to get it. Here's a very substantial offer, and it was well below, well above market for that company. We took it to the owner. He said, hey, listen, I'm willing to stop the process and go with this offer right now because, like I said, it's the first one in. Uh, it was very high. You know, we always do our homework ahead of time and tell an owner what to expect, what kind of values they should expect, what the market should be willing to pay for a company of their size and history and that sort of thing. And like I said, this is well above that. So this owner decided to take that offer uh, early. But in a more typical situation, we have uh, we might have five offers for a company, as an example, and all of them will be slightly different. And so they'll all have to be you know stacked up side by side and evaluated in such a way. And uh, it, the first, you know, the highest offer doesn't always win the day. Uh, a lot of times it has to do with what they're going to do with the company, you know, and how they're going to treat the employees and what under, under what terms does the, the does the cash come to you? Uh, there are things called earnouts, and an earnout, as the name implies, is, you know, if, a, if the company reaches certain financial objectives, there's a larger payout that gets paid in the future, not at close. So That's actually a perfect segue because... I know uh, through another person, I heard a story of, you know, as you know, in the dental space, there's private equity is coming in hard and heavy and mm-hmm. buying practices out for crazy multiples. This broker, uh, so the broker told me a story about this person, this dentist who got an 11X multiple, which is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was like 70% upfront, mm-hmm. uh, 30% earnout. Very typical. Yep. Right. After 90 days, she left because the culture was so bad. Right. She right. couldn't stand it anymore. So that 11X was really a little more like seven, seven and a half X. And, you know, had, but 11X was the biggest, sexiest offer. And that's where, where, where this individual went and had they, 
potentially done some more due diligence, you know, maybe the, the biggest number isn't the best. Yep, absolutely. In this situation, cost that individual some money, but it was sure. worth walking away because how bad it was. Yep, I understand that. And there's there's many owners that have a, a real difficult time working for somebody else after they've been running their company for themselves for many years. And all of a sudden they have... Uh, uh, lo and behold, they have a boss, <laughs> yeah, or someone they have to have to speak to. Maybe even that person may not be present every day, but maybe someone that uh, is looking over their shoulder when they've never had that kind of oversight. So you're absolutely right. And so what people have to be comfortable with is, you know, we, we say it this way, you know, if if the earnout, it you know, in, in the case of what you mentioned, if the earnout would were never to be paid, would you be happy with the amount that you received at close? And if the answer is yes then that can still be a good offer. But you're right, though, that these offers will differ considerably about what will be paid at close and what's going to be paid over time. What is your take on the back end well, in these private equity deals? And it's, it's obviously multiple industries. What is your take on these promises of recapitalization and these numbers get funny? Like, you know, I've seen, I've seen numbers that, you know, someone has an offer to, to sell their, their business for like $13 million, but the way they factor in the recapitalization on the holdback, oh, it could end up being closer to $50 million. And it's just like funny money. And, you know, I, I'm very skeptical of it personally, but you know more about it than I. What's your perspective on it? No, I think I think it's it's much like the earnout. You can't count on it necessarily. You you really it, it's great to think about that, but a lot of times that's the only way someone will a, a private equity firm might want to buy a company is if you they want you to continue to be an owner into the future. Uh, you know, they may say, "Hey, I want to buy eighty percent of your company or seventy percent of your company today, but we're going to require that you you know you stay in as an investor long term through what you mentioned this recapitalization as it's called." Really, that's a recapitalization of someone reinvesting in that new company going forward. You know, it's it's hard to uh, determine whether that will be successful or not. I mean, we've seen just as many cases of people that have done extremely well in that kind of situation. People who've actually, you know, wish they'd put more money, <laughs> wish they'd held on to, to a larger stake. And sometimes we've seen companies, uh, you, you know, that uh, you know have have transacted. Uh, and done very well, very rapidly. We had one that someone uh, was able to double their money in six months inside that situation. And I need to have one of those uh, lines that say past results are not uh, <laughs> not indicative of a future or not typical of, of all results. But so you do have to be cautious of that. Well, I think all you can look at is you can look at the quality of the company making that offer, their track record. You know, there's all, all this track records for private equity funds are generally fairly available. Uh, we have access to them. We can pull them up. We can see how they've done on those types of things. And you have to be a bit skeptical if it's if you have a rather new group that doesn't have experience of uh, of uh, long-term success, if you will. So it can be a bit scary. Yeah. So if you were like, if you met somebody, like I said earlier, at a bar and they're just telling you about them, you know, and they're not your potential client for whatever reason, what kind of advice would you give the mm-hmm. typical business owner that wants to sell, you know, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but they know they don't want to do this forever. They're starting to get burned out. What, what would you say to them? Yeah, the best thing you can do is, is start to evaluate. You know, I guess the first thing I have them do is, you know, work with an advisor like you, first of all, find out what their needs are in retirement. You know, what do you need to live on? You know, um, so once they have an idea of what they need, hopefully 
when you look at the value of their company, the, the value of the company equals something close to that. And they don't they can, in fact, retire as opposed to have to move on to a, another role or, or take on another job going forward. So that'd be the, the the very first thing. The second thing is then just do an evaluation of your company. What's you know what are the what are the things that a buyer is going to find less than attractive? You know we mentioned the owner dominance is one. Another could be customer concentration. You could have forty percent of your business coming from one customer. Even and even though that's great to have a big large customer, it's very risky. Uh, a business owner sees that and says, uh, or a, a potential buyer sees that and says, wow. That's great. But the bad side is, let's say that company, because you retire, Mr. Owner, goes away. Let's say that customer just you know, decides that they don't want to do business anymore with us as new owners. So that's another risk factor. But you need to look at all those risk factors. And there's a number of them. And, you know, talk to people such as ourselves, such as, you know, people that are in the business of helping to sell businesses. We know what those things are. We know what to look out for. We know how to best package those types of things. The other thing is, I guess I would say is, you know, we talk, those are sort of risk mitigating kind of factors. The other side of what a buyer is looking for is opportunity. What are the things you haven't been able to do as an owner of a company? Let's say I haven't been able to invest in salespeople. If I had one or two additional salespeople, I know I could really expand this company. If I had more talent, if I had access to international markets, if I had larger brand or larger presence as a company. I'm dealing with a company now that's done very well, but they're a small company. And that smallness of their company has restricted them from getting large contracts because uh, large companies have been unwilling to do business with them as a small organization. And if they now, they're, hope, they're looking to align with a larger company that gives them more financial resources, more risk mitigation, if you will. And uh, their hopes are that that would bring them a, a lot more business in the future. Let's talk about footprint capital for a minute as we come to the end of our time together. You guys are based in Columbus, Ohio, but what's your geographic footprint for representing uh, buyers and sellers? Are you nationwide? Are you regional? How does that work? No, we, we do work across the country. And now, you know, uh, COVID has gotten everybody sort of used to the whole virtual meeting uh, 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 process. And so with that, our business is all over the country. Uh, you know, I've got uh, uh, clients today that I'm working on in Nashville, uh, Las Vegas, uh, Dayton, Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, Detroit are the current uh, stable of companies I'm working with. But we do business across the country. We've actually sold businesses overseas as well. Uh, we've worked in Canada. I, I sold a business during COVID in Canada, and uh, we couldn't even get across the border to to uh, congratulate them when we closed the deal. Um, we started it before COVID occurred. But with that, you know, uh, the virtual technologies are now allow us and allow buyers, frankly, to to search for companies all over the country. And so, you know, inside that two to ten million dollars of annual earnings that we uh, we look for, you know, anywhere in the U.S. is uh, most typically our uh, our customer set. So if someone wanted to get in touch with you to pick your brain, to hire you, how would they do that? Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly you can reach out to us for footprintcapital.com is the website. And uh, I'm Michael Butler, of course. And, uh, you know, my email address, mbutler at footprintcapital.com. Or uh, I'll give you my phone number here, 614-581-5088. And we're glad to talk to folks even well in advance of them uh, considering to doing something. And uh, I would just say, you know, it's it's not a bad investment of your time to be thinking about what the ultimate exit of your company might be uh, well in advance of that, because there might be some things you need to do 
some of which we've talked about today. And there's other things such as tax changes you might want to make. You might want to make some structural changes in your company to best situate it for the tax implication of a sale. Um, and that's a whole other topic. You know, we'll leave that to the CPAs. But uh, uh, but with that, uh, all those things are important to do uh, and important to think about to maximize the uh, the exit value. Michael, I really appreciate your time today. This is this has been a fascinating fascinating conversation. I could I could pepper you with questions for thirty <laughs> or forty five minutes. Well, I've enjoyed the conversation. It's a deep topic, and you know all I can tell tell people is you know. Uh, one thing is sometimes people will attempt to sell a business on their own. And I really do think I really feel adamant, even though I'm a little bit biased because I'm in the business. Uh, I'm adamant of them getting some kind of advisory help from someone like myself uh, to help them through the process. It's not an easy one. And so in a lot of ways that uh, uh, experience does count here. I think the value created by working with someone with you, someone like you far exceeds the, the cost of that type of relationship. Agreed. Agreed. So you've been listening to the Exit Your Business Your Way podcast, and I'm Ross Brennan. We'll talk to you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers of their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS. Guardian or North Florida Financial and Opinion Stated are their own. External sites and materials are provided for your convenience and locating related information and services. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees expressly disclaim any responsibility for and do not maintain, control, recommend, or endorse third-party sites, organization, products, or services, and make no representation as to the completeness, suitability, or quality thereof. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Security products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of North America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian North Florida Financial. Is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032. California Insurance License Number 0L100732022-143574. Expires 924.